ScanUp Nation, welcome to your favorite podcast for the industrial water treater. Of course, we know that is Scaling Up H2O. I'm honored to be your host for that podcast, Trace Blackmore. And folks, this is going to be a really fun show today. We're going to think about things a little bit differently. But before I get into the interview, I just want to thank all the people that joined me last week for the hang that we did. Of course, that's something we do every month or so for industrial water traders to get together, to meet new people, to talk about new items, and just get out in the industry. And of course, you can do that from your own office or your own home. You don't have to leave to do that. And you meet, hopefully, dozens of new friends on that hang. We're going to have another hang on June 10th, so if you missed this one or you just can't wait to be on another one, you can go ahead and register today. You can reserve your spot by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang. Another thing that I am looking so forward to is the Association of Water Technologies Technical Training Seminars taking place in Annapolis, Maryland. Folks, normally I am telling you, you need to register, you need to come see me, but here's the deal. Because of restrictions, there are caps of how many people can register and attend this event, and all of those registrations has been met. But here's the thing, you might not be out of luck. If you go to awt.org and go on their waiting list, if they open up more spots or somebody is not able to attend, you will be able to attend. It's one of my favorite things that I do each and every year. I love teaching the craft that my father taught to me I love seeing all the other people that do the same type of job that I do each and every day. So hopefully I will see you there. But again, it may not be too late. Be sure to get on that waiting list. Well, folks, as I mentioned, we're going to challenge the way we think today. And my guest today, that's what he does. He goes into companies and he tries to get the companies to think differently. I'm really excited for this interview. Please welcome Bob Nemec. My lab partner today is Bob Nemec of Twist Think. How are you doing, Bob? Hey, I'm doing well. Good morning, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to connect. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on the show. I think this is going to be a really fun interview, and I want to make sure the Scaling Up Nation knows who we are talking to today. So do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, I guess a quick thumbnail sketch. Uh, born in Detroit, raised and schooled in the great state of Michigan and uh, coming out of university with an engineering degree uh, and then an MBA, went on to uh, spend time in uh, the corporate world for 17 years, connected uh, to the automotive industry in both North America and Europe. Two great uh, tier one suppliers, one by the name of Prince Corporation, 
that in the mid-90s was then acquired by a great public company by the name of Johnson Controls. So I had the benefit of learning and growing and leading in both of those companies. And then uh, after uh, 17 or so years, uh, jumped out to uh, help frame a startup by the name of Twistthink. So in 2001, this uh, tiny team of five as a professional service started to engage in helping uh, organizations innovate, accelerate, and grow. And uh, in the blink of an eye, all the kids are grown and fly out of the nest. And uh, Twistthink is uh, months away from uh, celebrating uh, our 20th year. So uh, that in uh, a very uh, few uh, comments is uh, a little bit about myself. 20 years in the blink of an eye. You are not kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's fair to say, you know, as you get, as you get older and you start, you, you really start to realize more so now as I start to see uh, grandchildren uh, uh, arrive on the scene, just how quickly uh, the world turns and uh, life moves. And uh, it does feel like a blink of an eye. That team of uh, five has now grown to a team of 50. And just maybe a comment, one of, um, one of my lessons in the corporate experience uh, of the automotive industry at those two great uh, companies already mentioned was uh, the power of bringing together the skill of great design, industrial designers by training, the creative right brain, you might say, bringing that skill together with another great skill and that of technology, or in our language, uh, electronic or electrical engineers, the, the talented left brain. So, uh, the experience gained in the automotive world that's now been uh, delivered in the professional service world of Twistthink was the left brain and the right brain coming together and uh, serving as one. And so uh, that's what Twistthink has been built on and has grown by and uh, uh, continues to uh, serve companies uh, in those uh, key areas of innovating and accelerating or moving faster to market. And ultimately, what you and I and I'm sure every one of your listeners is uh, accountable for, and that is growth. And uh, grow, 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 uh, pre-pandemic and now even more so post-pandemic is uh, something that I think we can all uh, relate to and align on. You know, something that a lot of people in our industry are dealing with, and, and I know it's not unique to us, but I know about us, so that's what I'm talking about, is we've got four generations working together at the same time, and we've got some very smart engineers that are getting ready to retire that are just incredibly intelligent, 
have all this information. And then we have millennials coming up into the workforce and they, of course, know technology better. And the issue that we have is nobody speaks the same language. They use different tools to get the job done. What advice do you have around making sure we're speaking better and we're getting things to where they need to get to without having all this extra stuff that's going on between the generations? Yeah, it's a generational issue for sure. And it's a, a skill issue for sure, too. Uh, the skill of design, uh, if you know that great talent in, in your experience or your listeners know that skill in, in their experience, is very much different than uh, the skill of uh, engineering. And even when we started as a firm, the first two or three years, were really our uh, bumping along, cultivating and trying to understand the language of the other teammate and the process of the other teammate, that being great design and great technology. You know, and uh, I'd say it took us a few years to uh, understand and respect uh, the process, but uh, once you go through that, uh, and once we went through that, I, I would say uh, that's when we saw the power of one team uh, truly uh, delivering results for the clients that we've uh, worked so hard to serve for uh, nearly 20 years. So when you talk about even now the generational transition that's occurring in a lot of organizations and the older generation uh, learning more about the millennial uh, generation and the approach to uh, technology and then vice versa. How does a younger team learn all of those uh, secrets of the trade from leaders that have been uh, bouncing around in it for 40-ish kind of years, right? When, when, that, when the patience can be applied to both sides of the table and come together as one, well, then uh, that's when an organization, uh, I would argue, simply from a teaming perspective, is uh, set up to win. There's nothing more powerful in any organization than an aligned team. But, and I know you know this, uh, as you've been around the block a few times in a few years, is there's nothing harder to maintain and cultivate than the power of a great team. It takes a ton of time and, a, uh, and work and requires a lot of patience and grace along the way. I definitely agree. Grace needs to be extended in everything that we do because there's just nothing stopping a team that is fully aligned. Yeah. Now, uh, to encourage you and, you know, even as I reflect on for our firm, you know, this week, is I believe our 24th week of, you know, uh, leaning more on remote work than our traditional in the office work. And, uh, you know, I think our team in, in a way is chomping at the bit to be able to return to what we once knew is that normal uh, office setting. But we're trying to, you know, embrace safety and the various constraints applied on us in uh, this operating environment. But the encouragement has been, 
you can still, even uh, in a remote work fashion, using the technology that we have available to us, it's still possible to maintain a strong team culture. And for us, where our team collaborating together is very, very important to what we serve our clients with, we've still been able to use the various uh, tools that we're all now pretty familiar with to um, maintain team and high-powered collaboration. Yeah, I think that was definitely one of the most positive things that has come from us experiencing the pandemic. Uh, I don't think anybody knew all the stuff that they could do by not going into the office, but definitely business didn't stop. And I think we took that as an opportunity to get better. Yeah, it's all about growth. And uh, we're all growing in different ways in this current economy and uh, with the challenges we face. And, uh, you know, change can be hard, but uh, change is good. And you can't grow without change. That is that is the bottom line. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that, because one of the topics that you speak so well on is on innovation excellence versus operational excellence. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what we need to know? Yeah, so um, I appreciate you mentioning that. We have a client in the South by the name of Milliken, a very successful private company in the chemical textile space, a company that... I've respected for years. And uh, their founder, Roger Milliken, has a statement that's, you know, even today, uh, though he's passed away, is framed and hanging on the wall of their R&D campus. And, and And the statement goes, operational excellence secures the present. Innovation excellence secures the future. And when I saw that for the first time, I was like, wow, he's singing our song at Twistthink. Because we as a firm for 20 years have been uh, serving clients in their pursuit of a greater uh, innovation excellence and uh, the outcomes that follow from that. And it's interesting if you uh, do any research on uh, Milliken is... Uh, Here's an organization that back in the late 80s, when there was a new award being distributed by our uh, reigning president and government called the Malcolm Baldridge Award, Milliken was one of the first recipients. And that award was really uh, very much in line with uh, what, what we might all just collectively call operational excellence and how an organization's operations were led and guided and driven via lean manufacturing and all of the other uh, kind of battle cries that are so associated with operations in terms of production and safety and quality. So here's a, here's a company that, again, was nationally recognized for their strength in great operations. They had solid footing there. But they also had a solid footing and respect and a process for innovation excellence, too. And uh, quite honestly, our long-term purpose as a professional service team is helping organizations 
uh, stand on uh, two feet rather than simply standing and relying solely on the footing of operational excellence only. And, you know, not our data, but uh, Harvard Business Review uh, probably four years ago now did a pretty comprehensive survey of public and private companies, coast to coast, thousands, and came back with what to me is still an astonishing data point that though many, if not all companies would tout some level of uh, innovation esprit de corps, uh, the proof of companies really doing any serious innovation and having a process to guide them and lead them and direct them was uh, only 9%. So you're like, wow, even if that survey is off a little bit and you round it up to uh, 20%, there's still uh, a pretty big chasm associated with uh, organizations that have a true commitment and a true practice to pursuing innovation excellence. And so an, another way that sometimes I'll share who is Swiss Think and what are we trying to do? Uh, we're trying to make an impact in that 9%. We're trying to get more companies who are perhaps uh, under the waterline and operating solely in the space of commodity. We're trying to give them a chance to get above the waterline into the fresh air of innovation. And if I just go on, I would say uh, operational excellence is pursued through the wise practice and training and understanding of lean manufacturing. And there's hundreds of tools and methods that can be used within any organization who's on the hunt for lean and on the hunt for operational uh, improvement or excellence. Well, on the innovation side, there's another proven process. And, you know, I, I wish I could see all your listeners and ask them to raise your hand if your company has invested in another process just as good, if not better than lean, that has tools and methods and stage gates to guide and direct uh, innovation efforts, and that process is referred to as human-centered design, or sometimes even design thinking. Come on, raise your hand if your organization is uh, committed there too. Well, I'll just tell you from my experience, you know, I have taken dozens of courses and had consultants come in on operation. You know, how do we do what we do better more efficiently? How do we make sure that we're not repeating efforts? Everything is streamlined. We have done zero when it comes to innovation. Yeah. And there lies what you might say as the problem or the opportunity. And, and, and Trace, I'll be honest. I just walked out of a meeting with a Fortune 500 leader and this topic of supply chain management and everything that this leader and his company is doing to lean into that, especially in light of the pandemic, uh, the change that's going on there. And it's all good and appropriate activity that smart companies do invest in. But then the topic came up on the innovation excellence side. 
and why and how they're struggling to get their footing there. They're trying, but they've been trying for a long time and they're still not seeing any process. And, and so as we unpack that, he confessed what I think uh, a lot of leaders struggle with, and that is we're not going after innovation excellence because it's far easier to just keep turning. This is his words, not mine. Just keep turning the crank. The, the flywheel, they call it. The flywheel, you know, and there's a thousand other kind of metaphors that uh, we're all uh, familiar with. And this company is, uh, you know, at a crossroads in their uh, run and where, where they're headed and what they might look like. And this company, um, again, this is not made up for your podcast. Uh, this is a conversation 45 minutes ago where they're grappling with uh, creating the dynamic uh, internally to answer what's next. How do we appropriately plan and grow post the pandemic? How do we appropriately grow in this uh, age of digital transformation? I wish I would have been smart enough to say, hey, you need to join me on a podcast that I'm having with, uh, with Trace in, uh, in a few minutes. And how fitting his commentary, I think, is uh, to this conversation, to you, and to your listeners of Scaling Up, that this matter is, in fact, post the pandemic, even more important and uh, becoming more urgent. Well, you've got everybody curious. We've done several shows on lean manufacturing all over the operational realm, but uh, no shows done on innovation. I know everybody's wondering what do we do? How do we bring some of these tools that you know about that we don't know about? One, what are they and how do we start implementing them? Yeah. So like anything, uh, you know, change takes, you know, you got to build momentum. So you got to start to walk before you can run. But if your listeners are not familiar with human-centered design, as a process, well, then pow- the power of the internet will bring that to all of our desks during this call or post this call. So there's uh, a one action that can be taken. There's certainly a studying and research and, and reading that can be done. I think it, it takes a, a C-suite commitment just like uh, it takes a C-suite commitment to uh, pursue a Malcolm Baldridge Award or operationally uh, shift the, the cultural dynamic of any business. So, you know, it, it, it starts at the top. It starts with the leader in the driver's seat to uh, demonstrate and, and create a resolve to, uh, again, be a smart business that stands on two feet rather than hopping uh, on the footing of uh, operational excellence alone. And, and maybe just, you know, one, that's a great question too. Uh, a podcast like this isn't long enough in order to fully unpack it. But here's one skill that I've seen for my going on 40 years of business uh, engagement that 
I, I think is still not uh, appreciated and understood and leveraged. And that skill is the skill of design or industrial design. And, and I've been uh, promoting and arguing and fighting for that skill to be plugged into any organization to some appropriate level, whether it be a manufacturer or a service company or even the changing world of education, that having some access to industrial design is a tremendous way for a company to raise the bar in their pursuit of innovation or innovation excellence. And if nothing else, for your listeners who maybe don't have access to that skill or are not familiar with it, I would certainly inspire them. Hopefully, I am inspiring them to uh, get after that and to get after it quickly. So let me ask, I know you have worked with many, many companies. Can you talk about one that wasn't doing much with innovation? They've worked with you. They've learned some of these tools. You've helped them hone those skills. What were they doing before? And now what are they receiving after? Yeah, I can share one example of a hundred year old private company, mid market, that came to us uh, with the desire and the resolve already to try and use the mega trend of digital transformation to transform and disrupt their business and even their competition. So they, you know, this digital transformation uh, mega trend is one that's impacting uh, every organization for over a decade. We've been deeply immersed in it. And uh, the power of it is one that I think even your listeners in the market space of, if we just say water, are uh, fully aware of. And, you know, uh, terms like artificial intelligence and internet of things and connectivity and the age of user experience. That's what we're living in now. Those were those are all uh, kind of facets that we're using to help companies uh, get above that waterline. So this company, Flexco by name, a mining company based in and operating in the mining industry, was resolved to trying to uh, create new user experiences uh, via digital transformation, and so. Uh, our engagement with them started, no surprise, with the process of human-centered design. And there's, you know, for us, there's four steps in that process, discovery, analyze, create, and develop. And I share that to highlight that there's steps and that it is a process because so often innovation is misunderstood to being just brainstorming sessions either on campus or off campus. And that is not how you innovate. And that is surely not how you answer the question of what's next. So Flexco was kind enough to allow us to lead them through those uh, four steps first. And, and, the, and the value there was it allowed us to create a clear target 
for what their uh, user experience and product strategy needed to be uh, before creating anything uh, from a hardcore engineering perspective. And so we traveled the globe. We met with countless uh, stakeholders within their industry, and we got to the pain points and uh, the opportunities that digital transformation deployed against their product line could create for the customers that they're working so hard to serve. And so that effort, which you might say extended four to six months, clearly painted the target for what their Internet of Things or AIoT platform should look like and be capable of. And then uh, we didn't merely just hand the playbook to them. We actually converted that for them. And so in a, in a period of a time that followed, we created the platform that now allows Flexco to manage and monitor their, their product via the power of uh, the internet. So it's kind of turns their offerings on its head because they're able to, to monitor their product and proactively respond to a mind to replace their product before that mine uh, runs into a situation where uh, the conveyor belt needs to stop until the conveyor belt is repaired. So it, it, it shifted the uh, user experience and it, it even shifted the business model that uh, Flexco is using to serve their customers globally. And that's the power of uh, digital transformation. And um, I'm encouraged to even share this is happening in the water industry. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure your listeners are tracking it. But we have a nonprofit who is water uh, focused called Charity Water that uh, deploys pumps in regions of the world where there's no access to clean drinking water. Even they, uh, in recent years, in collaboration with us, have built a platform that allows those pumps deployed in very unique and uh, hard-to-get-to regions of the globe. Even those pumps are now being managed and serviced so that clean drinking water can uh, get into the communities that so desperately need it. There's over a billion people on planet Earth today that have no access to clean drinking water. Charity Water, as well as many other water nonprofits, are trying to make a dent in that number. And digital transformation is clearing the way. You say now more than ever, we need to take advantage of the digital age. So uh, with everything going on, with everything we're learning from working at home uh, from the pandemic, how do we combine what we're learning now to being more innovatively excellent? Can I say that? Is that how you say that? Innovation excellence is kind of uh, the two words from that quote I cited earlier from Roger Milliken. Innovation excellence secures the future. And, and uh, 
again, the spirit of that quote is, yep, it's smart to think about today, but you also got to be looking out. And the only way to look out is through a great process and a great commitment to uh, understanding the changing needs of any company's uh, clients that they're serving. Digital is just helping to fuel user experiences and that fuel is being provided by connectivity and data. So we all know about the growing trend of connecting and driving more activity in the cloud, right? Not a day goes by that you probably don't hear some reference uh, to the cloud. And the cloud is a key part of digital transformation. And it's how do you take all of that uh, key data, like Flexco now is, and then act upon it or uh, provide the data in a useful way for the stakeholders that they're trying to serve in the mining industry. Interestingly, I, I've I heard a leader cite that uh, before the pandemic, digital transformation was in the top 15 of their kind of corporate strategic initiatives. You know, and he was kind of hinting, you know, more in the 13, 14, 15 spot. He said post-pandemic, or as we're working our way through the pandemic, uh, it's number two. And, uh, you know, this leader went on to say that, you know, gone are the days where you can just ask uh, members of your team, hey, get on a plane and fly across the country and get to that customer or get to that location where our product is being used and, and service it. Those days post the pandemic are totally different. And so uh, digital transformation is allowing edge devices to be deployed in such a way on a pump in Ethiopia so that as that pump is operating and as that pump is wearing, uh, AI is providing data both at the edge and in the cloud that would indicate the useful health and life of that pump. And rather than it just breaking and remaining dysfunctional for a matter of months, it can now be serviced and continue to perform the way that it's so uh, needed to do so. And I think, you know, there's stories like that that are being written at high speed right now. Again, when people ask me, how do I get above the waterline? I feel trapped. You know, my answer is one, embrace the process of human-centered design like now. And two, uh, explore and discover how digital transformation might allow you to create a new user experience for your key stakeholders. And I believe that those two together will shoot people upward so that they can get to a position of leadership and a competitive strength and ultimately increased growth. As you've been working with clients and sharing these ideas, what's one of the biggest aha moments one of your customers have had? Shoot, it really worked. <laughs> and uh, the company I cited in the example, you know, anyone listening to this, feel free to reach out to them directly. But what we hear, and by the way, I, I, I spoke at an event with hundreds of people 
in the great state of Michigan almost a year ago. And I asked them before I started the question of, hey, raise your hand when it comes to lean manufacturing and your awareness and commitment and practice. And everybody's hand in the room went up. This is hundreds of leaders. And then I said, okay, uh, now raise your hand if your organization is aware, committed, trained, and practicing another great process called human-centered design. Not one hand in the room went up. (laughs) And you're like, wow, what an opportunity and what a shame. And so some of the ahas that we get the benefit of experience with our clients is their own getting to see it and uh, see the outcomes that are driven through HCD and strategic visualization and high-powered collaboration. And boy, you know, just speaking on behalf of uh, the great team of 50 behind me, there's nothing more exciting than to work with a client and allow them to see it come together in that fashion up front, right? HCD occurs before you do hardcore product development. And so to allow them to see and experience that and then go through the hardcore product development because connecting a device to the cloud that's buried a mile uh, underground in a mine in Australia, you know, that, that, that isn't easy stuff, but it's technically feasible. And, and when you get there and then uh, you have the benefit of watching that organization announce to the industry in February, here's our new offering called Elevate and here's how it's transforming us and the clients that we serve. So they're in the domain of commercialization, that's inspiring stuff for us as a team working so hard, but uh, it's, it's also kind of inspiring to see their uh, eyes light up by doing something different. And, uh, you know, Vince Lombardi was quoted uh, years ago. This is in the 60s when he was the dominant force, granted, this is a sporting uh, analogy, but his quote, I think, applies to what we're talking about on this call. And it was, there's joy in the creating, not maintaining. And I think, you know, when you get to go through innovation excellence alongside of the footing of operational excellence, there's wins-wins, there's, there's kind of joyful activity that then happen on both sides. What's the most common mistake that your clients make as they're trying to innovate? Well, most companies uh, make the mistake of assigning a small team internally and sticking them in a cubicle, a space somewhere on their corporate campus and, and basically tasking them with, yeah, do a little bit of that while you continue to also, you know, remain connected to our quote unquote operational activity and anything that even uh, that great team would try and uh, generate uh, gets consumed by the culture of uh, the organization. So it's like they can't even get lift off. And uh, that's a mistake that occurs, you know, wrapped with that is, you know, trying to do it all in-house, you know, uh, wrapped with that is, you know, not invented here, you know, unless they come up with it, 
it's the only way that they can advance, you know, not having fresh eyes weigh into it. And as I mentioned already, not even having the power of industrial design to visualize, hey, here's what our our, our current portfolio of products or services look like. So, you know, the power of putting stuff up on a wall to drive alignment and collaboration within an organization is rarely taken advantage of. I can't tell you how many companies I've met with. Yeah, they have their product catalog on their website and they have their, you know, catalogs that they hand out at trade shows. But, you know, when asking individuals or leaders of a company, so show me where are all of your products and services visualized in one arena? They can't do it. And then they they just wonder, you know, why they can't build momentum in uh, this domain of uh, new products and new services and uh, mega trends like uh, digital or they struggle for uh, why their culture isn't thriving on the innovation excellence side. And uh, there's nothing like visualizing information and putting it up and then challenging, you know, innovational teams, innovation teams, or even the C-suite or the board of directors. Here's who we are and here's what we look like today. And here's what we hope to look like in three years. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why. And he talks about, you know, let people know why your company is in existence. How do we tie the why into innovation? Well, the why is, uh, you know, really the starting point, isn't it? And the why is, uh, what's the why behind having digitally connected pumps in Africa and getting to the heart of the matter? And back to your earlier generational uh, question and comment, the great talent that all of us are trying to secure to grow in the future is really hungry and passionate for more of the why, uh, not less of it. And part of uh, my belief when it comes to uh, strategic visualization and even visualizing the why alongside of the future product or innovation uh, uh, portfolio, that those are critically important when trying to capture and hire and inspire the, the great talent that we're all running after. The folks rolling out of university today with their undergrad or their postgrad, and they're, they're all more hungry for a lot of what Cynic is uh, speaking to and writing about. And we as organizations that are, are trying to grow, uh, there's value in being able to secure great talent when they can see the why of what you might look like in three to five years and really sense that that organization is committed to that cause. It's not just in an annual report or an annual strategic plan. What's the one thing you want to make sure people get from our interview today? Maybe they're curious around this process of human-centered design and, and want to go uh, investigate more, that would be one that 
I hope they get from today. I think what I've said many times over the years that any organization is benefited from having access to the skill of industrial design is uh, another takeaway that hopefully they're intrigued by. And then uh, the third is, you know, the, the power of digital transformation to create new user experiences. And I cited Charity Water, but again, for your listeners on scaling up, there are many that we're serving that have a, a foot in the water industry that are uh, working hard to try and uh, uh, leverage that megatrend, again, in the spirit of creating new user experiences. Well, I know I'm thinking a little bit differently than when we started this conversation. I'm sure our listeners are as well. I'll make sure that I put some information on many of the things that you mentioned on our show notes page. So that will be very easy to find. But I'm not quite done with questions for you yet. I have a few lightning round questions if you are up for it. (laughs) Yeah, let's go for it. All right. So you now have the ability to go back in time and talk to your former self on your first day as a consultant working with people, making them more innovatively excellent. What advice would you give yourself? Don't be afraid to change. Hold yourself to what I would say, bold goals, not incremental goals. And then I think certainly like many listening, you know, the pandemic is a great wake up call just for enjoying the moment and being reminded that every day is a gift. And boy, that's what I I wish I could go back to the early 80s and kick that into my own head in a more uh, clear and robust fashion. What are the last few books that you've read? Oh, man. I'll say one that we're reading uh, as a team, we have a book club, is uh, So You Want to Talk About Race. You know, this focus and initiative within our team started well before what we've seen uh, in our nation and uh, kind of highlighted in many ways uh, in recent months. And uh, that book is, is, is just creating uh, more awareness and more discussion and certainly and most importantly, and this is tied to human-centered design, more empathy for uh, something that for our business, I'm not even going to speak on the nation's behalf, but for our business is critically, critically important right now. We cannot claim to be innovation excellent without uh, a real strong measure and dynamic to diversity. And so that's what's driving us into that book and and uh, certainly what's unfolded across the country is helping us to uh, be smarter in that domain too and man we I'm, I'm so uh, thankful that we have a team that doesn't just look at that and kind of say yeah whatever and book club I got more important things to work on behind me and with me and alongside of me is a team that's like, yeah, let's go for it and get better there. We got to change there is not just what 
Bob is saying, there's 50 other people behind me saying, yeah, I'm leaning into it. And so I, I wish I could give you or your listeners even a glimpse into how these calls go and the esprit de corps of the calls as we try and uh, grow and uh, get smarter and improve as a team. When they make a movie about your life, who plays Bob? I don't even, I don't know how to answer that. I, I don't want a movie ever made about me. I would love a movie to be made about my nine grandchildren. So go talk to them and figure that out. But heck no, not me. And then last question, you now have the ability to talk to anybody throughout history. Who would it be with and why? Yeah, that's that's a hard question, too. But. You know, the, the one thing that comes to mind is, uh, you know, I, I, had the, I had the benefit yesterday of spending the afternoon with my uh, dear old dad who's uh, in his 90s and trying to uh, press on in life with Parkinson's and some other physical challenges. And we had a really sweet conversation. You know, I lost my mother younger in life and it kind of gave me a hunger that at least right now, while you're catching me on the heels of that conversation, boy, oh boy, would I love to have a cup of water or tea or lemonade with that dear lady. Well, Bob, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. I know we're always thinking on how we can get our operation more efficient, but you got us thinking about how we can bring innovation into our companies, and that's really where the growth happens. Thank you for a meeting like this, and certainly thank you to any listener who's been patiently riding along uh, with us. I, I really appreciate that. That's a, that's a great honor and privilege. Nation, I hope that you were thinking differently through this entire interview. I know when I was speaking with Bob, when I was interviewing him, I made a list of new things that I wanted to try. I hope you've done the same thing. Bob, thank you for sharing those ideas with us and challenging us to think a little bit differently. Folks, I want us to think a little bit differently, and we're going to think a little bit differently each and every week, 52 tries at James's Challenge. Folks, here's another installment. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional, drop by drop, is... Check makeup water for ammonia. Ammonia can come from many sources, including runoff from farmlands. Undetected ammonia in your makeup water can cause a variety of problems. One such problem is with using chlorine as an oxidizing biocide. Chlorine reacts very quickly with ammonia forming chloramines, which may not have the same biocidal power you were counting upon. It can certainly leave you scratching your head, wondering why your chlorine-based oxidizing biocide program isn't working. Knowing what you're up against can help you decide the next steps of increasing chlorine feed to reach breakpoint chlorination, feeding a supplemental biocide, or changing the biocide program altogether. 
Be sure to share your experiences on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Folks, I can't wait to see your social media post on hashtag JC21 or ScalingUpH2O. I love seeing that. I think that motivates everybody to do these challenges. And I've gotten some great notes where people have really been following along with these challenges and they really feel that it's pushing them to become a better water treater. Now, maybe you've fallen behind. That's okay. You can go back and you can do all of these challenges. You can catch up. It's great if you can do it each and every week, but folks, if you've fallen behind, you can go back and catch up. Speaking of catching up, last week I received a lot of questions about the LSI, the Langelier Saturation Index that James challenged us on. I did a show on that. It was episode 24. It was one of my first questions from the nation, and I received some questions back then on what was LSI, what was RSI, the Risner Saturation Index, and what was PSI, the Practical or Precorious Saturation Index. So I talk about all of those things back on episode 24. So if you're trying to research those stability indices, you can go back to episode 24. And for those people that wrote in, thank you so much for letting me know how you are doing on James's challenge. Folks, if you want to let me know something, it's super easy to do. You can go to scalinguph2o.com and then you can click over on show ideas. Folks, thanks so much for listening and I'll have a brand new episode for you next week of Scaling Up H2O. Nation, are you thinking about joining the Rising Tide Mastermind Group? Well, here's what Bernadette Combs had to say about that very subject. So if I could uh, tell somebody who is considering joining the Masterminds Group, I would say you should do it. And I have asked people, what is the Masterminds Group? And I always tell them, you know, it's a great group. They're people that I knew beforehand, but I didn't have a great relationship with. And they're from all over the country, but they're other water treatment professionals. And they're going through similar things that you are. And so they're able to uh, be a mentor to you. And it's somebody who can give you good advice for both personally and professionally. And the guidance and grounding I get during that one hour a week helps guide me, uh, keep me focused and motivated throughout the whole week. So I would say it's a good one hour of the day. And for those people that say they don't have enough time in the day or enough time in the week, I would say you make time for what's important to you. And this should be important to you because it keeps you motivated for the rest of the week. So it keeps you staying focused um, throughout the week. If you're thinking about joining the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to find out more about the group and schedule a call with me so we can talk exactly about what you are going to get from the group and what the group expects to get from you. 
Folks, this is a commitment of your time. This is a commitment of your resources, but I promise if you take advantage of this opportunity, it is going to promote you in ways that you haven't even considered. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.